0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters, trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention. Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24-self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite.
1: Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in.
3: Now he delivers swing a line drive it to right center field a base hit for Soto and Castellanos will cut it off in deep right center rounding third and coming home to score is Hernandez a two out double for Hernandez an RBI single for Soto and it's the Nationals two and the Phillies nothing. So now Hall at third three balls two strikes to Gregorius here's the pitch. Swing a high drive, right field and deep. Soto back to the warning track, feeling for the wall, back up against the wall. He leaps and can't make the catch. It's off the fence. Ball is scored. Gregorius is trying for third. Soto throws toward third and it's way offline. Soto with just a little leap at the fence, almost just a reach. And the ball scraped the fence. It's a triple for Gregorius, and the Phillies lead three to two. One-two. Breaking ball hammered deep to right toward the corner. This has got a chance. It's hooking and it hits the foul
0: pole. Home run. Five to Phillies, fourth homer in the career of Hall. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, July 8th, 2022, along with Massinsports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. A happy Friday to you and yours. Hope that you're about to have a great weekend. A happy weekend. If you're a Nats fan, Uh, These days, you got to find happiness wherever you can, because your baseball team, unfortunately, isn't providing much happiness these days. Uh, We did get a win on Wednesday night, but we then got another loss on Thursday. 5-3 was the final at the Philadelphia Phillies. Nats end up losing two of three games in the series. Nats now have lost seven of the team's last eight games. Nats this season now 25 games under 500, 30 and 55, including 7 and 30 against the National League East. Uh, We do have some intrigue with this game from Thursday. We have the mystery of Juan Soto and the chain-link fence to get to. We have the mystery of why exactly Luis Garcia left the game prematurely. But, uh, Mark, it is no mystery why the Nats lost on Thursday. An offense that did next to nothing after the first two innings, and a starting pitcher in Johan Adon who really should not be pitching at the major league level, and unfortunately now has been asked to pitch twice more at the major league level since being demoted to the minors. And that, in a lot of ways, captures why the Nats are where they are.
1: Yeah, in a perfect world, Joanna Done would spend about a month at AAA working on everything that they wanted him to work on. Originally, when they sent him down about a month ago and circumstances have kind of forced him back up here. We'll see. This may have been a one and done situation as well. We'll see where they are 5 days from now. It sounds like they may at least have at least one other option by then, which we'll get to. But, you know, it was kind of the same thing that we've seen from him and yet I'm not going to try to claim that four runs in four innings is good. It's not. But at the end of the day, there was an opportunity for them to win this game. And like you said, they had the chance to take down Bailey Falter in the first two innings, and they only scored two runs despite an opportunity there to score a bunch more. And then they were basically shut down the rest of the way aside from one run in the eighth inning. So in a weird way, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay Adone's struggles. But I almost feel like this was a winnable game and that the blame goes more onto the offense than anything else.
0: Yeah, the bullpen for the Nats did a really nice job of keeping the game within reach. We've seen that a few times here lately, but the offense just did not do much of anything after the first two innings. Uh, The Nats scored a run in each of the first two innings of the game, but then did very little offensively the rest of the game. The Nats finished the game with eight hits and two walks, five of the hits, and one of the walks happened over the first two innings. The Nats over the final seven innings of the game totaled a mere one run on a mere three hits and a mere one walk. And Mark, I look at what happened in the top of the seventh. Jose Alvarado, the throwing Phillies reliever, striking out all three of the Nats big boppers or the supposed big boppers, the Nats numbers two through four batters, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Nelson Cruz. And we've talked about these three guys here lately. You know, it certainly doesn't feel like these three guys have been what we all kind of hoped that they would be this season. And look, I know Alvarado throws a million miles an hour, but he made Soto, Bell, and Cruz look rather foolish in that top of the seventh.
1: Yeah, first of all, apologies if the fire alarm going off in the stadium is. Uh Interfering with everyone here. I believe everything is fine. Uh, maybe that's uh, a reflection of uh, one of Jose Alvarado's 101 mile an hour fastballs setting off the fire alarm. He was dominant that inning. He's a guy who um, you never know what you're going to get with him. Like, I would be terrified. I-, I would imagine if I'm a big league hitter, he would be the pitcher I'd be most terrified to face because anything comes out of his hand could go anywhere. Now, in this inning, he was spot on with his command. Apparently, he's been pretty good here lately. And like you said, Soto, Bell, Cruz, none of them came close. None of them had a shot against him. And it does, you know, we've seen there were a couple games last weekend against the Marlins where they had some rallies. But for the most part, this team has not been doing anything late in games against top relievers. And this was another example
0: of that. So let's get to the game for Juan Soto on Thursday. He, as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, went two for five with an RBI single and another single. So he was back out there in right field, and he had himself a couple of hits. Uh, Soto in the Nats one run first, a one out opposite field single to left center field on an 0-2 pitch. Soto in the Nats one run second, a two out first pitch RBI single to right center field for a 2 nothing Nats lead. But he also struck out twice, and he had a bad and I guess now mysterious defensive blunder. So the Phillies put up a three spot in the bottom of the third and Soto had a defensive miscue in this inning. He on what ended up being a two out RBI triple by D.D. Gregorius whiffed on a high fly ball to the warning track right in front of the right field wall. Now, Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with you guys said.
1: His glove actually got caught on the chain link fence as he went to go catch the ball.
0: I then saw you tweet that Soto, during his post-game session with you guys, said that he simply misjudged the ball. Whatever the case, this was a terrible-looking play. The ball went off the wall, and uh, D.D. Gregorius rather generously was awarded with an RBI triple. Do we know what happened here? Did Soto's glove get caught in the fence, or did Soto just blow the play?
1: It depends who you ask, I guess, Al. Davey Martinez, and we talked to him first in his office said that the glove got caught in the fence, and that's all that it was, and it was a kind of fluky play, and it is a weird fence out there. It covers up the out-of-town scoreboard, so, you know, you see things happen now and again, and then Soto was asked 15 minutes later when we talked to him "Is that's what happened, And he said, no, that didn't happen at all. He just misjudged it. He said he thought he was going to jump. Then he didn't jump. And in the end, he felt he should have said it wasn't anything to do with the fans. He said he just misplayed it and he took full responsibility for it. I watched the replay. I don't think I see anything with the glove hitting the fence. So I think Davey may have just been trying to cover for his star right fielder, which, you know, you understand that. But I guess props to Juan for not making any excuses. It was a really awkward looking play. He's had kind of a rough season in the field. We don't talk about it a lot, but he has not been the defensive player. We haven't seen the improvement that they've talked about so much with him and expecting to see from him. And this one was, you know, one of the uglier plays we've seen, and it cost them, no doubt. He seemed to feel pretty bad about it afterwards. I don't think he was making any excuses for it.
0: Yeah, Juan Soto entered Thursday with minus three defensive runs saved in right field this season. I think this is interesting, though. I mean, Davey Martinez isn't known to lie during his sessions with you guys, is he? I mean, why would he have to feel the need to make up some story? Like, I wonder if he genuinely thinks that Soto's glove got caught in the fence. Maybe this is one of these Nationals miscommunications or something, because otherwise it looks pretty dumb that he says one thing and then Soto says another. And if Davey just made that up, I mean, it just seems kind of odd. Like, why wouldn't you say, yeah, it's a bad play by Juan. He knows he has to be better than that. He will be better than that. Like, why Why feel the need for story time after a game like this?
1: It caught me off guard as well. And I had no reason to think that what Davey was telling us wasn't accurate until Juan told us what he did. There's no reason for Juan to make that up, by the way. So maybe it's a case of we just assume that when a play like that happens, the manager goes and talks to the player and says, what happened? And they told him the answer. Sometimes they don't do that. Not in the middle of a game. They say, hey, he screwed up. I'm not gonna bother him with that. He's got other things to worry about. But you would think that, you know, in the by the time the game was over, there's a good, you know, ten minutes or so before we come in to talk to him that he would have gotten an answer. Maybe he just didn't have an answer and didn't know what to say when he was asked and he said that thinking, or maybe somebody else had told him that the glove got caught in the fence. I honestly don't know. We'll have to wait till Friday to see if we hear any more from them about it. But it was notable and kind of an unusual circumstance. And, uh, you know, if it was Davey covering for Soto, then you would think that that word would have gotten to Soto and that he wouldn't have, you know, completely given the opposite answer when we asked him.
0: Right. That's why I do wonder if it was a miscommunication. But to your point, watching the game on TV it did not look like Soto's glove got caught in anything. It looked like he misjudged the ball. We have seen that happen with Nationals outfielders over the years, and that just seemed like another instance of that here this season. I want to get your take on Nelson Cruz. Now, look, he was back from a two-game absence on Thursday caused by this stomach illness, so he may still not be 100%. I'm sympathetic in that regard, but he is back to struggling here. Nelson Cruz on Thursday, starting designated hitter, cleanup batter, 0-3 for with a hit-by-pitch, three strikeouts, he now, over his last eight games, is four for 31 with four singles and two walks. He is right back to doing what he was doing for so much of earlier this season. That is not hitting well, but especially not hitting for power. And this stands out, A, because he's Nelson Cruz, one of the great hitters of the last 15 years, but B, he's the DH. His only job is to hit. Okay, so if he's not hitting, what good is he to you? Nelson Cruz now, this season, has an OPS of 6.86. His OPS over the three previous seasons was 9.36. This is a precipitous decline for, again, one of the best hitters over the last 15 years. I get that he just had the stomach illness, so maybe he's not 100%. But boy, Mark, we saw Nelson getting hot there for a while, and it seems like he is just back to being what he was back in April, just not in a very good place as a hitter. Yeah, it's been a pretty dramatic
1: drop-off back to, uh, like you said, where he was before. And he's really late on the fastball. I mean, obviously, Alvarado, as we talked about, is a flamethrower, and it's not surprising when anybody's late on him. But you see Cruz late on almost everything right now. His timing has seemed off, and he's especially struggling with runners in scoring position, which had become a hallmark of his during that nice hot stretch that he was on. He was the guy who, even though if he wasn't hitting for power, would hit the ball the other way base hit to right, drive a runner in. You know, he was a little while ago looking like he might even be on pace for 100 RBI over whole season, and he's gone ice cold in that department, and that's hurt them. So I don't know. This is just as simple as he missed a couple games with a stomach ailment, and that's why he wasn't back, because it was already happening, I think, prior to that point you want to believe he can be consistent all the way through but he's 42 years old and at that age you have to have everything in sync with your swing and maybe it's harder to get all that back the way that he did five ten years ago and so when there is a little flaw a little something wrong with his timing it's not as simple of a fix as it was in the past
0: Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get yourself some Window Nation windows and take advantage of a great offer at 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Beat the heat with Window Nation. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, 2024. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow up service. And Window Nation windows are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. If your current windows are sticking, or are drafty, or are cracked, or are hard to open, or are locking when they close, you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows, eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent and ask for the deal. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation plus pay nothing until 2024. 86690 nation or windownation.com. That's eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent ya.
3: Here's the set of the pitch. Swing the a ground ball. fair. Pass the diving, sprawling third baseman Fearling Down the left field line all the way to the corner. Franco heading for third, getting the green light. Schwarber just getting it out of the corner. Franco will score standing on a double by a. Ray Adrianza into the left field corner. Oh, his first at-bat of the
0: game and gets the Nationals back to within two. It's now the Phillies five and the Nationals three. Well, we addressed the mystery of Juan Soto and the chain link fence. Let's get to the mystery of why Luis Garcia left the game on Thursday. So Luis Garcia starting shortstop number seven batter had another hit, another extra base hit. In fact, he went one for three with a double top of the third, a two out opposite field double off the left field warning track, despite having been down to the count of 1.12. He left the game after six innings. Uh, Davey Martinez said, uh, during his post-game session with you guys, that uh, Garcia now is dealing with a stomach illness. Presumably, got that from Nelson Cruz. But I know from what you saw, it looked like Garcia may have been banged up. So I don't know. Do you think he was hurt, or do you think this is more just a stomach issue?
1: Well, I. Didn't have reason to think that it was anything other than what Davey told us until we then found out that what Davey told us about Juan Soto wasn't necessarily accurate. So now it makes you question everything, unfortunately. Sorry, Davey, but, you know, you put us in a bad spot here. We're not not entirely sure we can trust 100% uh, everything you tell us. On TV, you saw on Masson that on his final at bat, Garcia hits a ground ball to second, and he did kind of wince as he hit the ball. And then after he ran down to first base, he sort of grabbed his right side, his right hip, in that area as he was jogging back in. Now, it's possible that that was actually his stomach not feeling well, because it was shortly after that he came out of the game, and at least according to Davey. He's got a little stomach issue. <laughs> winced after he, he grounded out in the sixth? Is there anything no. there as well? No, he's, he, he started feeling real sick,
0: yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Are you worried because Nelson dealt with something earlier this week that it could be connected? I'm worried that we're going on a flight right now, and, and he's sick. And they told him, get off the field, go back to the clubhouse, do what you need to do. I will also tell you that in the clubhouse, Luis Garcia had a mask with him, a face mask with him. Uh, He wasn't fully wearing it when we saw him, but he was still kind of gathering his things up. So maybe he was told, hey, put this on when we're traveling on the bus or on the plane, just to make sure nobody else gets whatever might be going around there now. So. I can't tell you with 100% confidence what's happening, but it sure looks like, aside from the replay, what we saw on the field, it sure looks and sounds like this is not an injury and is just a case of him getting sick, much as Nelson did. Again, check back with us on Friday. Maybe we'll know a little bit more.
0: Well, I just got a text from Davey Martinez. He says that Luis Garcia got caught in a chain-link fence. So now I'm very confused (laughs) about what happened in this game. So we we have all kinds of questions with what went down on Thursday in Philadelphia. Well, whatever the case, the guy who replaced Luis Garcia, the ultra-versatile A. Ray Adrianza, uh, did have a run-scoring hit for the Nats in the latter innings of the game. One run eighth, he had a one-out RBI double uh, down the third baseline to cut the Nats' deficit to 5-3. The Nats' other run-scoring hit in the game, Came from Michael Franco. He, in a one-run first, a two-out bases-loaded RBI single to left for a one-nothing lead. That was kind of odd, a bases-loaded two-out hit, but it only results in the one run because it was a one-hopper to left, and it was one of those unfortunate things where you're like, that should be a minimum of two runs, but because of the circumstances, you really could only score the one run.
1: Yeah. And that's where there was like this opportunity for them to put together a big inning and they just couldn't get that. And it's another sign of the lack of power that they've had. Uh, I know they hit some doubles in this game, but they didn't really come at the right time for the most part. It's unfortunate. I mean, they have not hit a home run in I think four games, if I have this right, two, three, four. I believe the last home run, yeah, was Josh Bell's eighth inning dramatic home run on Sunday against the Marlins. So, in a ballpark that is known for giving up home runs. And aside from Aaron Nola, they were not facing the Phillies best. The fact that they didn't hit the ball out of the park and didn't even come that close to hitting the ball out of the park is a concern. And that's why they're so often being limited to two, three runs in these games when there are opportunities for, say, five or six could have been an entirely different game.
0: Yeah. Speaking of not hitting for power, we don't talk about this guy much anymore because I don't know what there is left to say. But We have been seeing Victor Robles start every game lately. A lot of this, I guess, had to do with Juan Soto missing time. And, you know, there's been opportunity for a guy like Robles to play every day as opposed to him playing like once every two or once every three games sometimes with the way things had been going. So uh, Robles on Thursday, one for four with a single. Victor Robles this season is having yet another atrocious offensive season. His OPS for the season is at 600. He has had ample opportunity to play and play well. And consider this with the Victor Robles statistical profile. His on-base percentage now is higher than his slugging percentage. You rarely see that. His on-base percentage is 304, which is not good. His slugging percentage is 296. He is slugging 296. The power of Victor Robles has completely evaporated. We've had many Victor Robles conversations, but boy, Mark, when I saw that after the game, I could not get over that. That is a rare thing to have a higher on base than you have slugging. And yet that's what Victor Robles has, at least right now this season. And he's not
1: a high on base guy to begin with. Like you said, he hits what? 17 homers as a rookie 2019, if I'm not mistaken. It has completely eluded him. This continues to be Uh, I don't even call it a work in progress because there's not a lot of progress being made there. It continues to be a problem for them. Now, I thought this was interesting that he was in the lineup and Yadiel Hernandez was in the lineup against a lefty, not Lane Thomas. For the last month or so, it was a guarantee that Lane Thomas would be in there against a lefty, usually leading off. And I asked Davey about a pregame, basically acknowledged that Lane Thomas is really in a funk right now at the plate. They wanted to give him a couple days to try to figure some things out. I noticed it on Wednesday night. He had an at-bat late in the game in kind of a big spot where he took a fastball right down the pipe for strike two and then swung at a curveball right after that that was out of the zone. And that's a guy... Who's not feeling it and is not have his timing down and is not seeing the ball well, whatever that means. They need to get him back to where he was. You know, he had a nice stretch there, a month, three weeks ago or so, where we were starting to talk him up again. He's fallen right back into this, and at this point, Thomas is far from establishing himself as a part of the future here. We don't really know what he is yet. It's too soon to determine for sure what he is. But all that excitement about what we saw last year and for a brief while this year pump the brakes a little bit. We're not really sure if he is the answer or not.
0: Yeah, Lane Thomas, over the first two games of this three-game series at the Phillies, 0-8 for with four strikeouts. He was really good in June, and it feels like since the calendar turned to July, it's like the carriage has gone back to being a pumpkin for Lane Thomas, and he's back to struggling. There's no question. I mean, one of the real disappointments of this season is guys like Lane Thomas and Riley Adams, who hit well down the stretch last season, just not doing much this season, you know, in Adams' case, so much so that he was demoted. To Triple A. Well, speaking of being demoted to Triple A, uh, that's where Johan Adone was supposed to be, but he now has made two spot starts uh, for the Nats since being sent down to Triple A back on June 8th. So, Adone on Thursday afternoon, like we said, four runs in four innings. He gave up six hits, uh, that triple, that really should not have been a triple, but it was uh, three doubles and two singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch. The control has been a real problem for Adone. Uh, it was again on Thursday. He did have five strikeouts. You know, he always does something that makes you say there is something there with this guy. But he over his four innings through 96 pitches. Here's the bottom line with Johan Adone this season. 14 major league starts. He has an ERA of 7.10 and a walks per nine innings of 5.43. He's just not major league ready. I mean, you know, I don't know how many more times we have to have this idea reinforced. Now, I know that you asked Davey during his postgame session with you guys about, hey, Adon has these things to work on. You sent him down less than a month ago, and he's already been called back up twice to, to start two games, both of which came against the Phillies, each of which had the same final score, interestingly, a 5-3. Do you think the Nats are doing Adon a disservice in jerking him around between majors and minors, or is this just the reality of this team this season and the lack of organizational pitching depth?
1: Well, yeah, I think they're doing him a disservice, but I don't know they have much alternative right now. I think in both those cases, he was the guy called up because they didn't really have anybody else. You had a doubleheader game, and now this time with Jackson Tatro going on the IL and nobody else being – Properly on schedule, other than Cade Cavalli, and so they called him up. Now I'll be interested to see here. Davey was non-committal after the game as far as what they're going to do the next time around. I will tell you that your buddy Annabelle Sanchez is scheduled to throw uh, his third rehab start for Rochester on Friday. If he builds the arm up enough that he is you know stretched out to start, they have an off day next week on Monday before they face the Mariners for two. And uh, I know I mentioned last night that I thought, hey, maybe that game against the uh, Mariners might be a good spot to call up Cade Cavalli, make his major league debut. I'm kind of retracting that now and predicting that we may see Annabelle Sanchez instead make his 2022 debut. It'll be just as exciting, just as packed of a house for that game, I'm sure. But the combination of Sanchez probably being ready and Cavalli, and this is a good thing, he was just named to the All-Star Futures game, which happens a week after that. Doesn't mean they can't call him up before then, but that would be a bit of an odd move to do that a few days before he's supposed to pitch in the Futures game. So get your uh, Annabelle Sanchez hype up. I would not be surprised if he's actually starting next Wednesday against the Mariners.
0: Well, I think that's just going to be outstanding. I think that's going to be a joyous night. I think that's going to rival June 8th, 2010, the Steven Strasburg debut and all the great moments of October 2019. I mean, you know, if you can't get amped up for this, you know, what are you doing? Like, do you even have a pulse? Okay, so uh, (laughs) that's just outstanding news. Anibal Sanchez is coming back uh, to pitch for the Nats this season. Uh, Hey, so I mentioned the bullpen doing well. It did. One run in four innings combined from four Nats relievers. I do think the Nats bullpen overall is actually doing a pretty good job here lately. I know that it doesn't really matter. And I know like probably most people don't even don't care. And I'm not telling you that you really should. But game in, game out, the bullpen actually has been pretty good. There have been some hiccups. Obviously, Tanner Rainey had his problems. But for a good chunk of these recent losses, the bullpen is actually helping to keep the game within reach. At least, you know, a good chunk of the time, not every game. But in this game on Thursday, Andres Machado, scoreless bottom of the fifth. We then had Jordan Weems in the bottom of the sixth nearly throw an immaculate inning. Yeah, Jordan Weems, perfect bottom of the sixth, three strikeouts on a total of 10 pitches. Uh, Steve Ciszek did give up a run in the bottom of the seventh, a two-out solo shot by Derek Hall to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-2 Phillies lead. And then Mason Thompson, who I think has looked pretty good since he came off the injured list, he tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. Uh, we did have some roster maneuvering on Thursday afternoon. The corresponding move to recalling Johan Adone from AAA Rochester was the Nats putting yet another reliever on an injured list. Reed Garrett to the 15-day IL, retroactive to July 6 with right biceps inflammation. But for whatever it's worth, some good stuff from the Nats bullpen on Thursday.
1: Yeah, I like what we've seen from Thompson here so far, and he is somebody to watch the rest of the way. A sort of forgotten man because of the time that he spent on the IL with the uh, biceps injury. But, you know, they were high on him when they acquired him last year for Daniel Hudson. He's got a power sinker that if he can command it, his issue is throwing strikes. But if he can command it, and so far it seems like he is, that's somebody to watch as a future piece. I think Machado has pitched pretty well here lately, being used a lot in a lot of different roles, whether it's coming in for one batter to get Schwarber out the other night. Sometimes it's long relief. In this case, one inning. Uh, I thought he he has done a nice job. And Jordan Weems, out of nowhere, strikes out the side. I don't know what to make of that, but that was an absolutely dominant inning, like you said, one pitch away from being immaculate. So yeah, what's so weird is like we think of the bullpen and we think of these blowups that have been so notable and cost them games, and yet... Larger picture, there's probably been more good than bad here uh, of late. And it's unfortunate that that hasn't resulted in more wins just because the team hasn't been in a position necessarily to win these games because of a lack of offense and then often the starter's not doing all that well.
0: So next up for the Nats is a three-game series at the Atlanta Braves. The Nats' three starting pitchers will be Eric Fetty, Patrick Corbin, and Paolo Espino. I'm very interested to see how Corbin does in Game 2 of that series. He's been really good over his last two outings, but they have come against two lesser-hitting teams in Pittsburgh and Miami. So this will be a real test of is Patrick Corbin truly getting better here uh, this Game 2 at the Braves Saturday afternoon. At four ten. So Mark referenced some Nats news on Thursday. MLB on Thursday announced the rosters for the 2022 All-Star Futures game, which will take place at Dodger Stadium on Saturday, uh July 16th. Uh the All-Star Futures game that's a seven-inning American League versus National League game. It's essentially the minor league all-star game. Well, among those named to the National League team, two Nats prospects. Starting pitcher Cade Cavalli and second baseman Darren Baker, the son of former Nats manager. Dusty Baker, who as Houston Astros manager, will be managing the American League team in the 2022 All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium. Uh, The All-Star Game will take place Tuesday night, July 19th. Now, help me out here. The All-Star Futures game, is it more just about like prospect rankings than like merit in terms of the season you're having? Because Cavalli isn't having a great season for Rochester. And with Darren Baker, I mean, He's not a top 100 prospect. He's not having that good of a season for high A Wilmington. Is this just done because Dusty Baker's the manager, or is there something missing here with Darren Baker being chosen for this game?
1: No, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. My understanding how this works is typically the teams are going to choose who they want from their system to represent them. It's kind of a showcase event. So you want to show off, yes, your best prospects – Sometimes you want to reward a guy having a good season, but it's not necessarily like a who are our best players through the first half of this season. It's often who are our best prospects. Typically, it is guys higher up the chain, double AA, A, triple A, that might be close to being ready. You know, Cavalli was in it last year. So I think it makes sense as somebody that they and the league want to showcase as someone who, in the hopefully near future, is going to be pitching in the big leagues and can draw attention. In Darren Baker's case, it would be unusual for a player at that level of single A who's not considered a top prospect to be chosen. So I think it's both a reflection of the Nats farm system, especially in the position player category. And I think it's also a nod to the fact that Dusty Baker's managing for the American League. The game is at Dodger Stadium, where Dusty spent his formative years as a player, and. Even casual baseball fans, they may not realize that he's now a minor leaguer with the Nationals, but you say the name Darren Baker, they're like, oh, the kid from the World Series almost got run over. Wow, he's playing in this game now? Wow, how cool is that? So, there's a little bit of that, I'm sure, going on with it. It's a nice thing for Darren. It's a nice thing for Dusty and the family. But if you've noticed, the Nats have been kind of promoting Darren Baker, not as their top-line prospects, but like that next tier. And it's a reflection both of his name and the recognition, but also the fact that they don't have a whole lot of others to tout, especially in the position player realm. And so I think that's what you're seeing here.
0: Yeah, well, this year is the 20th anniversary of the Darren Baker World Series incident in that 2002 Giants-Angels World Series. But yeah, I mean, if you're not locked in on Nationals minor league players, the Nats took Darren Baker in the 10th round of the 2021 MLB draft out of Cal Like I said, he's playing for High A Wilmington this season. He entered Thursday with an OPS of 675. So, like, not only is he not a top prospect, he's not even having that good of a season for High A. But, hey, good for him, good for Dusty. It's the All-Star Futures game. We're not going to get all worked up over that. Uh, You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast, at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.com. Dot square dot site. That's Nats Chat dot square dot site. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nat's Chat Podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. All National's radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 the fan. For Mark Zuckerman, who's going to go put out that fire at Citizens Bank Park. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast, and we bring you now another look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, July 2021. Today, we look back at a win for the Nats in July of 2021, a 15-5 win at the San Diego Padres on Wednesday night, July 7th, 2021. Juan Soto in that game, two for three with a three-run homer, a single, and two walks. This came on the day on which we learned that Juan Soto would be participating in the Home Run Derby at Coors Field uh, in Denver that year, and his first-round opponent was set to be none other than Shohei Ohtani. Enjoy the look back, and we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: Paddock sets the pitch, swung on, hit in the air to deep left. This is way back. This may go. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang, zoom. Soto the opposite way with a line drive,
0: three-run home run. And great to see Juan Soto homer again on Wednesday night. And on the day on which we learn that Juan Soto will be participating in the Home Run Derby at Coors Field in Denver on Monday night. And let me salute you, my friend, because you brought this up on a recent installment of the Nats Chat podcast. And I know you were kind of half kidding when you said it. And it's not like you said this is going to happen. But you brought it up as something that, hey, this is the kind of thing that could get Soto going. And I think there is merit to that. And sure enough, Juan Soto, even though he only has 11 homers on the year, Is going to be a participant in the home run derby. But he homers again on Wednesday night. Second straight game in which he homers. And that was a key shot. First pitch, three run opposite field homer to left field in the top of the first inning. You know, we've discussed this with Soto, right? When he goes oppo, that's usually a great sign. Well, he went oppo on that home run. The surge for Soto on the road continues this season. 11 homers on the year 10 of the 11 have come on the road. But he had that homer. He had a leadoff single in the Nats' four-run eighth. And he had a couple of walks on Wednesday night, one of which was intentional. Maybe just maybe Soto is getting going from a power-hitting standpoint here.
1: So here's what I loved about the home run. It was the first pitch. We don't often see him do that. He's usually, you know, work the at-bat and try to hit with two strikes. So first pitch, and he hit that ball only at a 21 degree launch angle. That's like nothing. And it still cleared the fence. And he had one even less than that last week in the homestand. The one homer he finally hit at Nationals Park off Rich Hill was 19 degrees, even more ridiculously low. But he can do it because he hits it so hard and it just takes a tiny bit of elevation. And this is what we've been waiting to see from him good signs all around. And as far as the home run derby goes, I'll just say, I believe I had that one, maybe unintentionally, but I think something about it did kind of make some sense to me that maybe all this time that you're just working on your swing and you're thinking about elevating the ball and just go the opposite way and all that, maybe he just needs to cut loose and swing for the fences at Coors Field next Monday night and see what happens and maybe could have a carryover effect. For so many players, they worry about the home run derby, hurting their swing and messing it up. And in Soto's case, maybe he needs that feeling of what it's like just to keep connecting and hitting balls a mile in the thin air there. Now, we'll see. Who knows what's going to come of it. And the sad part is he has to face Otani in the first round because they rank him based on your total homers for the season to date. And Otani leads the world, and Soto has the fewest homers of any of the eight competitors. So that's unfortunate. But he's going to be into it, you know? He's not doing this reluctantly. He, kind of like Bryce Harper, he lives for these moments. This is going to be good for him. It's going to be good for the Nationals, and it's going to be good for baseball to have Juan Soto in the Home Run Derby.